Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. You guys, good morning. Uh, I just want to let y'all know it's it's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be okay. Um, don't worry. Seriously, it's, it's fine. Um, I, I want you to know, like, you're, you're going to be safe this morning. Um, like, we, we figured it out back there. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The, the like, asteroid? That it was, like, hurling toward the earth. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're going to be fine. I just want to let you know, like, we figured it out. Like, we've been working on this for years. And the thing that was about to come and destroy us all, like, we figured out how to destroy it. How cool is that? Some of you guys are looking at me like, what is going on? Is this drama class? Um, what is happening, especially our visitors. Uh, welcome. Um, not a normal introduction, to say the least. The thing is, um, often we are confused, right, <laughs> in life. When somebody comes out to us and goes, I have good news. <laughs> I have great news for you. Like, you're going to be okay. And you're like, Great. I, I didn't really know that I was not okay, but I really appreciate you helping me understand. Um, a reality in our lives is that until you fully understand the bad news, honestly, you really can't appreciate the good news. Did y'all see the news this past week from NASA? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Um, They were just doing a test, it was called DART. Um, I think it was like Double Asteroid Redirection Test is what it stands for. If I got that wrong, please forgive me. I do not work for NASA, nor would I ever be qualified. I'm thankful for some members of our church who do have family members that are currently working at NASA and helping with these big, big things and amazingly complex scientific things. But if you didn't know already, um, there were over the last years, they have been developing technology uh, to basically determine if in the future at some point, if there was an asteroid that was hurling toward the earth, that uh, what would we do if it was something that genuinely, we've seen movies about this kind of stuff, but in a real life scenario, if the earth was in danger, could we as humans figure out a way to destroy this kind of asteroid before it destroyed all of us? And this past week, with an asteroid that was hurling through space, thankfully, not at Earth, um, in case any of you were scared, but um, with an asteroid that was hurling through space, they actually figured out a way to detonate this explosive device on the asteroid or or to hit it in a certain way that basically it broke into pieces and all of NASA cheered. And I read the news and I was thinking, oh my word. Like, that's really cool. But like, I only thought this was in the movies. Anybody with me? Like, has anybody actually sat around and thought about 
the possibilities of an asteroid destroying you and your life. Like that would be the cause of death on your birth certificate if there were someone else to write the birth certificate in which there wouldn't be, um, but that the cause of death would be death by asteroid. Anybody ever sit around and worry about that? Well, I don't either. If, if that's you, I'm not with you. I mean, I'm with you in that. Like, I don't sit around and think about it either, but yet I read the news this week and I felt some sense of relief. Anybody with me on that? Because it was like, oh, well, knowing that that could happen, well, isn't it great that these people have figured out how to save us? Does that make sense? That's the way I felt this week reading the CNN article. It is a reality in life that until we understand bad news, we really can't appreciate good news. If I came to many of you today and I said, hey, I've got great news for you. I've, we found a medicine that's going to save your life. A lot of you in the room today would look at me with a puzzled look going, what? I, I, I don't even, I didn't even know my life needed to be saved. I didn't even know I would need medicine but some in the room today who have been diagnosed with life-threatening disease would hear that and go, oh, I'm so thankful. Because they know that that news of life-saving medicine is the best news, news that they desperately need. There are times in my life, um, I remember one morning over a winter not so long ago when my in-laws were in town, and I do love my in-laws. We, in our family, like to call them in-loves, okay, um, instead of in-laws. But um, I remember one morning waking up and my father-in-law saying to me, hey, buddy, it's, it's, it's all right. Um, don't worry. I, I took care of it. And I'm looking at him like, well, good morning to you too. <laughs> And little did I know what great news that was because the night before, he's basically telling me in a lovingly, in a loving and fatherly way, uh, you left the fire burning. Well, I didn't even know what great news it was when he first told me, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay. I took care of it. But after learning that the fire was burning, the night before, you go, oh, I am so thankful. Others of us in the room have had other experiences in our life where truly you can, you can relate to this, where you really can't fully appreciate the good news until you've heard the bad news. You can't appreciate your neighbor coming over to your house with their dog in, your, in their arms, or maybe your, ch your child in their arms. You can't fully even appreciate the sight of it until you realize you left the back door opened and you didn't even realize it and the dog got out or your kid got out. And then the nuance of that news, oh, it just changes everything to realize, oh my goodness, what has just been brought to me is the best of things because it could have been the worst of things. This morning, we continue in our study of the book of Romans. And interestingly, we have been launching out into this book over the last three weeks, and today we continue. This book, so far, 
Paul has been talking to us and talking to us and talking to us about the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's been saying, good news, good news, good news. He's been walking toward us with a smile on his face, trying to say to us, there is great news for you. But interestingly, today, we are going to take a turn in the book. A turn that Paul takes in order to help us understand just how how good of a news this is of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Because it's not just a reality in life in general, it is also a reality in our spiritual life that only by understanding fully the bad news can we fully appreciate and understand the good news. And so we're gonna be moving into this new section of the scripture uh, as we go together over the coming weeks. Now I wanna give you an outline and then I wanna pray and read the scripture and start today's sermon, all right? But I wanna give you an outline of where we're heading in the next really month, uh, a little bit more here at ICC as we study the book of Romans. It's just an outline of the book of Romans. It's not an outline of our series as much as an outline of the book that our series is following, all right? Basically, what Paul begins to do as he has now outlined the good news of the gospel in this first chapter up to this point in verse 17 where we stopped last week, starting in verse 18 and going all the way through the midpoint of chapter three, he basically says, I want you to understand why this is truly good news for you. You got to get it. And the reason that this is truly the best news for you is I gotta tell you something, there's bad news. And the bad news for each of you is that the wrath of God is deserved. In other words, you have not just, you should not just have like the sense of the gospel is like, oh, isn't that nice? No, you should have a sense when you hear the good news is, oh my word, this is so needed. There's a difference in seeing the gospel as nice and seeing the gospel as needed. And what Paul is going to do and what we're going to do together in the coming chapters is help us to understand why the gospel is needed. It's, it's, it's so much more than an add-on to your life. It is everything. Because without it, we have nothing. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to go through and he's going to explain that the gospel is needed and the wrath of God is deserved in pretty much every category of person you can think of, okay? So in case you wonder if there are any exceptions to the need for the gospel or whether or not the wrath of God is deserved truly for everyone, Paul's gonna basically say there are no exceptions. 
Now, the basic outline of the next few chapters, this is not the outline of today's message because we're only going to be in the first part of this first piece of the outline. But the outline of the next few chapters are as follows. First, you know this whole conversation that Paul's been having around the Jewish people and the Gentile people, right? Remember in the last verses, we talked about how it was first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. Do you remember this? And this is going to be ongoing conversation through the whole book because there was questions in Paul's day around was salvation just for a particular race, a particular ethnic group, just for Israel that God had begun the work of salvation with in the Old Testament, or was it for all people? So he's going to talk to us about how, yes, the gospel is needed for non-Jewish people, in other words, Gentile people. We could categorize that today as like non-religious people or pagan people. In other words, whether you, you are a religious person or not, whether you say that there is a God or not, whether you are a person of faith or not, you need the gospel. He's going to be talking about that in chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. Secondly, he moves to the Jewish people in chapter 2. We could describe this group as a people, like a religious people, people who are very devout in their adherence to try to keep God's laws, very devout in their attempts to be right with God. And he's going to say to the Jewish people and to religious people today, don't you think that by your own adherence to God's law or your attempts to be right with God, that you don't need the gospel because you do. Both non-religious people and religious people need the gospel because the wrath of God is deserved as you look into the hearts and the lives of all of us. And in case you missed it, in case you think for some reason that you are an exception to a non-religious person or a religious person, to a Gentile or a Jew, Paul's going to come back and wrap a bow on things in chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, and basically say, every one of you needs the gospel. In other words, the gospel is not just nice. The gospel is what? Needed. All right? So that's kind of where we're going in the next few weeks, month or more. Now, some of y'all look at this and go, oh boy, is it going to be a joy to be in church this month, right? Oh wow, can't wait to find out more about how God's wrath is deserved. No. It feels heavy. In ways it feels hard. But here's what I gotta tell you. When you understand the depth of your need, then the provision of God in Jesus Christ is going to become clearer and more beautiful, more wonderful, more treasured and precious to you than ever before. Against the darkest of night, the brightest of light can shine. And so what I want to encourage you to do is, is lean in over these next weeks as we continue to study through this book. Because while we are walking through in many ways 
the bad news, we have to remember that we cannot fully appreciate, fully understand, fully treasure the good news until the bad news has been understood and received. Does that make sense? And so I just encourage you and ask you to pray that God would keep your heart open and soft. I know that there are many seekers among us, many people who aren't sure yet if you want to believe the words of Scripture as the words of God. And I just want to tell you that we welcome you here at Island Community Church. We love you. And I just invite you to be with us and to journey with us. Ask big questions. We'd be glad to talk to you anytime. I am proclaiming God's word to those of us here who believe. And we do lean in uh, to receive this as the words of God. But if you are among us and you do not yet believe, I want to encourage you just to be thoughtful, to be inquisitive as we journey through this. Uh, and, and use the opportunity to, to hear this morning as we walk through God's word as an opportunity to explore more of who God is and what it's like to have a relationship with him. So to that end, I just want to pray for all of us, and then we will continue this morning in our passage for the day. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news of what you have done. Thank you for your great love for us and your great grace toward us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we willingly open ourselves to you. Thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us now. We are listening. Lead us to an understanding of who you are and who we are, that we might depend wholly on you and what you've done in Jesus. Thank you for your great love, your great grace, your great kindness to us, and we put all of our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, if you've got something to write with, and I would encourage you to, I would ask that you get something out and write down the title of today's message, which is the non-religious need the gospel. The non-religious need the gospel. And we're going to be looking at part one this morning of chapter one of Romans, verses 18 to 25. The non-religious need the gospel. If you'll read with me in your Bible, Um, I'm going to be reading in the English Standard Version, and I would encourage you, if you don't have your Bible, to follow along with me on the screen. God's Word says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This morning, we're going to begin our discussion around how the non-religious, how Paul exposes to us and explains to us that all people, yes, need the gospel. But as we think about the Gentile people, and even people who are non-religious people, there is a great understanding that Paul wants us to have that they need the gospel. All of us need the gospel. The main point this morning I hope you're thinking about writing it down. There's going to be echoes of this main point all throughout the day. And so even if you don't write it down, you will be hearing it and hearing it and hearing it again. The main point this morning is this, that the gospel is needed because God's wrath is deserved. For we have all seen God's glory in nature and yet rejected true worship of him. The gospel is needed And God's wrath is deserved. For we've all seen God's glory in nature and yet rejected true worship of him. The structure of today's message is following the structure of the passage itself. You'll notice here that basically what I'm doing is just repeating at the top as we think about the outline for verses 18 to 25 I'm repeating here at the top this point from the main point, right? We all say this with me. The gospel is needed and the God's wrath is deserved, all right? That's going to be a theme all throughout. But as we look at these verses in particular, we see kind of three parts to Paul's point. First, he explains how God's glory is revealed in verses 19 to 20. Secondly, he explains how God's glory is rejected. That's in verse 21. And third, he explains how idolatry has been constructed. And that's in verses 22 through 25. So what I want to do this morning is walk through these three parts, basically Paul's kind of words to us. And we'll talk about them as we go. But I want to start, before we even get to the the three points, and just kind of talk about this main point right here. And this main point right here, and I'm having trouble today, hold on just a second, you guys, because I'm supposed to be able to use this pen. Y'all know how excited about the pen I get. There we go. Now I can breathe. I have so enjoyed, you know, I I asked my wife, this is terrible. This is just a very human moment of me. But I asked Michelle, I was like, what do you think about this series? Do you know what that's called? Fishing for a compliment. And that's not a, then no matter what she says after, I can't really receive it with joy because I know that I've just asked for it. But anyway. She says, it's made me really happy and you're doing a great job and I'm really happy that you love it so much. It's very apparent that you love it. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'll take it. Um, I love writing with this pen. I don't know if y'all like it, but I love it. And I just wanted to say that publicly. I, I don't know that I'm ever going back, all right? So 
I want to talk real quick about this point, which is the gospel is needed because God's wrath is deserved. Why are you saying that, Pastor Barrett? I mean, that, that feels kind of hard, you know? Like, you just put, where, where, where are you getting that? Well, I'll tell you, the, where I'm getting it from is straight here from verse 18. All right? Just like several of the verses that we've studied previously, do y'all notice how this verse starts? What's the word there? For, right? In Greek, gar. Which basically means it's connected to something previous. Okay? Now, what we know is, based on our study last week, and if you missed, I would hope and encourage you to go listen online. But what we know is last week, Paul has laid out the massive theme of the book of Romans, which is the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ for everyone who trusts in him. And now, he's connecting the next verse, four. Right? Now the question is, how is it connected? And, and I'll go ahead and tell you. It's not connected in the sense some might think, well, maybe this is a continuation of the gospel message. But it's not. And, and, and the main reason we know is because the very word gospel that I've already taught you in previous weeks means what? Good news. All right? And this particular section is not necessarily delivering the good news of what God has done, right? Seems to be delivering the bad news. So what we have here is a connection though, because essentially what's happening is Paul is explaining for us why the gospel is needed. Okay? That is the connection between where we were last week and where we are this week, and he's connecting the two for us. You need to hear the good news for, and then he begins to explain what's going on. And he explains to us that the gospel is necessary. In other words, if God is going to be in right relationship with us, then something had to be done. A righteousness had to be revealed in Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because this verse explains to us in the following verses that unless something is done, our present condition, our present, the present state of our relationship with, with God is that we are under wrath because of what we have done to turn away from God. So something had to be done Tim Keller, um, who I quote quite a bit. I'm kind of a fanboy. Um, I do love and appreciate Tim Keller as well as many others. Um, but I love this quote from him when he says, the gospel is necessary, not simply to make me happy, but because there is such a thing as the wrath of God that I face. I do get worried sometimes. It is not a common thing in our day-to-day, -day. you don't build so-called seeker-friendly movements preaching on the wrath of God. And it is not an easy thing, it is not a common thing today for us to talk much about the wrath of God. But what I fear today is that in our culture, 
and even in our Christian culture, sometimes we like to think about the gospel as like, it just makes me better, it just makes me happier, it just fulfills my life more. We think about the gospel through those lens rather than through the lens of no. <laughs> like, this is not just about something that's nice, as I said earlier, this is actually about something that is needed. This is about a life or death thing. And we've got to come to terms with such a thing as the wrath of God, which I'll explain to you in a second. It's probably different than you might think. We've got to come to terms with this because the very point of Paul's writing this book of Romans is not to just improve your life from the good life that it already is, making it better. No, but actually to save your life. What we need is not to become a better person. We've got to become a new person. Repentance and faith are what's needed, not just improvement. And so Paul writes right out the gate to help us to see that this is needed. So four, and then he says the wrath of God. Now, I wanna do a little bit of word study for you the word here in Greek is arge. It doesn't, it's not pronounced ogre like it kind of looks on the screen, all right? It's arge. And some translations might have this translated as anger. Here in the ESV, we translate it as wrath. And I actually think we've got to stick with the word wrath. Even though it feels like an unpleasant word. The reason that we cannot use the word anger, I think in our common day, our cultural moment, is that most of us, when we think about anger, what are you thinking about? Basically, you're thinking about like an emotional person, right? You're thinking about somebody who gets, who wrongly gets overheated. Somebody who reacts emotionally. Somebody who doesn't have any self-control. Sometimes we will think about anger as capricious or driven by ego rather than by justice. And here's what I've got to say to you. God is not like that. God is not angry like that. What we're talking about here is a righteous wrath of God and a consistent wrath of God. And if you look at it, you can understand how this wrath is connected. It's not just indiscriminate wrath. Instead, it says here, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? What is the wrath directed toward? Against what? Ungodliness and what? Unrighteousness of men. So there's a direction to God's wrath. The first one seems to be really directed toward God, wrongs done against God. The other is almost directed like God and man. So there's this brokenness. There's this brokenness within a person 
that when there's like a brokenness with God and there's a rejection, an outright rejection of God, and then when there's within a person this brokenness such that like there's no even being right with God, there's no desire to be right with God, and then when there's no desire, there's no heart, there's actions against being right with other people, when there is such brokenness, outright rebellion, rejection of God, wrong toward God, wrong toward others, then we have God saying, I stand against that. I cannot tolerate that. In the presence of a holy God, there is no place for sin. And so what, what the word is saying is, it's, it's not an indiscriminate anger. He's saying, no, this is a rightful wrath. This is an opposition to rebellion and rejection. And when this happens in the heart, when this kind of attack on the majesty of God happens in a heart, God stands opposed. It's almost like these two things are the direct opposite of what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 22 is the very thing that God wants the most in our hearts, the great commandment. Remember when somebody asked him that? And he answered, well, love for God and love for others. I want you to revere him. I want you to love him, treasure him supremely, be aligned with him completely. That's what I want in your heart. That's the greatest thing needed in you is a right heart with God and others. So if you can understand that that's what God desires, then you can understand what Romans 1.18 is teaching us is he's saying, when that is not in a heart, God stands opposed. The wrath of God is revealed against hearts that aren't that way, ungodliness and unrighteousness. David, uh, excuse me, Douglas Moo says this, God's reaction to sin is not the anger of an emotional person, but the necessary reaction of a holy God to sin. A necessary reaction of a holy God to sin. In other words, God is not egotistic. It's not like he's just throwing around anger. But what he he has to do and he will always do is he will act justly on the basis of his own unchanging character and his own unchanging standards. And when a holy and righteous God sees brokenness and unrighteousness and sin in us, that, that, that doesn't compute. And he stands opposed His wrath is revealed against such ungodliness and unrighteousness. And we see here that it's revealed, it is revealed from heaven. Now one of the things that I want to point out here in this phrase is revealed, and it carries over in the tense of our English words, Um, the literal phrase here is apokalupto, okay? 
that doesn't matter as much as you understanding that it's a present passive indicative tense. So rather than it being something to, to where we think about only as like God's wrath is gonna be revealed in some future day in the second coming, rather it's referring to even now in the present, God, we, we see signs of God's opposition to sin and ungodliness and unrighteousness and it will be carried out in the future in a final way. So in other words, this is something that has already started. It is being revealed, even now. You don't have to wait for some future day. If there is brokenness in your heart with God and with others, then what you know is there is a present condemnation that all of us stand under by the legal standards of God. The brokenness in our heart basically leads to a declaration of not righteous, not godly. And that lack of righteousness, right standing, and lack of godliness, the very things that we were created for, our rejection and rebellion against those things, and namely rebellion against him, has caused us all, even now, to be in a place where there is a sentence that is hanging over our heads. We don't have to wait for a future day. It's already declared there's a sentence over our heads, if we're left in sin, not righteous, guilty, condemned. Now, what's interesting is, as we go back to the text, what we can see is, that this unrighteousness, this ungodliness and unrighteousness of men has led by their unrighteousness them to do what? It says suppress the truth. Now, the reason this is so important is because you, you might ask the question, well, wait a second, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that that's like fair. Like, I, I'm not so, so sure that people can be accountable, people can be condemned by God that they've never heard of. And what Paul says clearly, and we're gonna look at this more as we go, but he says, wait, wait, but they are accountable. But it is right for them to be condemned because they're actually, by their actions, suppressing the truth. And to suppress the truth, what does that require? Knowledge. You can't suppress a truth that you don't know about. So what he's saying is, every one of you, everyone who has ever lived knows the truth about God and everyone has rejected and everyone has repelled. This suppression bears responsibility. Well, the obvious question that I would ask, okay, so we've talked here 
That's where we get this phrase from verse 18, right? The gospel is needed and God's wrath is deserved. Everybody there? Paul is actually teaching that. This is not Pastor Barrett preaching a message that you don't like, okay? If anybody walks away from here today and go, I didn't like Pastor Barrett's message today, please understand that you need to be careful because I'm not preaching a message of my own making today. I'm just trying to preach you what God's word says. And I'm okay, right, if, if you don't like the scripture. I don't want that. But I need you to understand that this point is straight from the scriptures. Everybody understand that? It's not something I'm making up. Paul's saying, he just said in 17, the gospel is needed. And now in 18, he's saying the reason is because the wrath of God is revealed. Now, the obvious question, when we left just a second ago, and you go, wait a second. So you're saying they, people suppress the truth, but that suppression of truth needs knowledge. So the obvious question I'd be asking is, well, wait, how do people have knowledge? How then do people have knowledge? I mean, that seems like an obvious question. Because I could think through in my own head, you know, situations where I go, I don't know if they actually know. And Paul's going to answer that now as we move to verse 19. And in this first section, he's going to explain to us how God has actually revealed himself even to non-religious people. God has revealed himself. God's glory is revealed, verses 19 and 20. I'll read the verses and then we'll look at them together. He says, for, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, all right? So essentially, what Paul is saying here is God has revealed himself to people. And how has he revealed himself to people? What does he say? In the things that have been what? That have been made. God has shown it to them in the things that have been made. Um, I don't know of another way really to, ex to explain this. I like what Tony Marita, <laughs> the illustration that he used. I was like, man, that is such a good illustration. It's like this, all right? It's like God has designed the world and in everything that God has designed, he has put a stamp on it. Y'all know the stamps in your clothes, most of them say made in China made in Indonesia, right? Other day I found one that's made in Britain. I was shocked. Even more surprising is when you get one that says made in the USA, all right? But y'all know the tags I'm talking about, right? They get stamped on everything by law. We're, we, the government says you gotta know where it's come from. Well, here's what Paul is asking you to consider. As you get out into the world, no matter where you go in the world, you go out to the park this afternoon here in Greenlaw Park and you feel the sun on your face and you sense the breeze blowing through the trees. You go on a walk this afternoon out in Shelby Farms and you, you look at those geese that are swimming around in the water. 
and just sit by the quiet water, watch it ripple, watch the shadows, look at the reflections, see the sunset. Go down by the Mississippi River later today, watch the change of colors as the day ends over the river. Sit there and marvel, right? You go to the West Coast or to the Northeast. You go to Asia or to Africa or India. I mean, India is in Asia, so I guess that counts. But no matter where you go, what you're going to find is moments where you go, wow. Unbelievable. Amazing. And what Paul is basically helping us to see here is that everywhere you go and you look at creation, you look at the things that God has made and essentially everywhere God has stamped made by me, 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 made by me. Last night we were coming over the bridge near eight o'clock at night. And uh, we looked out the window and there was a full moon. Did y'all see it last night? It was beautiful. Carolina Emma in the back seat, Michelle goes, girls, 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 look at the moon. And they both go, wow. And then I got to explain in a very non-factual way, I think, because I don't know a ton about these kinds of things. (laughs) But I did the best I could to explain how amazing it is that God has positioned the earth where he's positioned it in the perfect distance from the sun to sustain life. And God had put a moon around us that could reflect the sun and give us just enough light at night that we could see, but yet still darkness that we could sleep. How amazing is even just that simple creation of God? I can't explain it. How amazing is it? Some of you guys who work in health sciences, the way that the human body is constructed, the unique genetic codes, I, I get overwhelmed again and again and again as I live by all that God has made. And everywhere you look at what God has made, essentially there's a stamp, God saying, this is made by me. (laughs) The reason I know that is because from Psalm chapter 19, verses one to four, we read, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. In other words, y'all, when the sun rises in the morning, it's talking to you. And night to night reveals knowledge. When the moon rises at night, God's trying to get your attention. And all of it is meant to declare the glory of God. In other words, you look at all this stuff and it's meant to, to lead you to go, whoa, Something bigger going on than me here. Anybody ever sat by the ocean and just thought a ton of yourself? It's kind of dumb, right? I went to the Arizona this summer, stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Anybody ever been there? You know what I'm talking about or any other thing like it. When you get there, you kind of don't think I'm such a great person. I'm really big and important. No, you feel little pity. It's humbling experience in all the best ways of being humbled. It reveals the grandeur and the glory of God. It's all screaming at us. Verse three and four says, there is no speech nor there are words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all of the earth and their words to the end of the world. In other words, you wonder, 
wait a second, are there people who don't know enough about God to be responsible for their sin? You're saying people are condemned, but, but I've heard there's people who don't know. Well, they know enough about God to be responsible for their sin. That's what the scripture is teaching us. Every one of us knows enough about God to know that he is great, and I'll explain this in just a second, but that it's all made by him. It's not about us. It's all about him. And all of these things are stepping stones toward the gospel. Even in Acts chapter 17, as Paul preaches, I don't have time to reference it, but he uses natural revelation. We call this natural revelation. There's a category of revelation called natural revelation, and there's another category called special revelation. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. But we're talking here about natural revelation. And what we understand is Paul references again and again, and even here where he's saying these things that have been created that all of us can see help us to understand that there is a God. And by the way, this makes me all the more desirous to get the gospel to those who have not heard because there's not a person in the world today who does not have a responsibility for their sin and a need for Jesus Christ. Everyone, everyone knows enough to be responsible and we, as a church, I'm so thankful for our passion, and I just pray that it'll continue to grow in you and in me. We, as a church, have got to get the good news of Jesus to people who need to hear it, because people are lost, and they're dying, and if they die apart from the news of Christ, they will be held responsible for their sin, because there's a made-by-God sign everywhere, so much so that all of us are responsible when we turn against him. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying. Now, the point of this is nature's effect on us is this. There must be a creator. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. The whole point of creation is to help you see the creator. The whole point of the mountain or the river or the bird or the breeze is not so that you would go, oh, what a nice breeze, bird, mountain, river, but you would go, oh, what an awesome God. The point is that our affection would not stop on the created thing, but would move on through the created thing to recognize the creator. That's the effect. Now, you ask the question, well, what can be clearly seen about God in nature? That's a good question. It's a really good question. And the answer is right there in verse 20. For, because what Paul's saying is not everything can be seen about God, but what can be seen? For... His invisible attributes, namely, and then he labels them. Number one, his eternal power, y'all see it? And number two, his divine nature, right? So, if you're making a list, God's attributes clearly seen in creation. Number one, his divinity. And number two, his power. So in other words, here's what everybody in the world knows just by looking at nature. There is a God. And secondly, he is a powerful God. He's a God that's bigger than me. Okay? Everybody with me there? Every single person you'll ever meet knows two things about God. What are the two things? His 
divinity and his power. Now, what that means is, when we talk about his divinity, what it means is that he is showing us our dependency. So we learn about God, his divinity, but we learn about ourselves, our dependency. So in other words, if there is a God and I'm not it, then that means I'm dependent on him. That's the first thing that every person in the world knows. The second thing that every person in the world knows is that he is powerful. But what that means for us is, if he is all powerful, then that means I am accountable. That means I'm not my own authority. So if there is a God, I'm dependent on him. And if he is powerful, then I am accountable. And both of those things are seared into the conscience of every single person who has ever lived just by looking at natural creation. There is a God and he is powerful. And in the heart, every person knows that I am dependent and every person knows that I am accountable. Now, if only that were enough, right? If only it were enough to know that we're dependent and accountable. If only that were saving. The problem is, this is not saving. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying there's enough to know about God such that we have responsibility, but there's not enough to know until we hear of Jesus about salvation. It's not saving to know that we are dependent and know that we are accountable, and here's why. Because in verse 20, Paul says, so, in other words, knowing these two things, they are without excuse. They're without excuse. Douglas Moo says, rather than bringing people into relationship with God, natural revelation actually makes them guilty. So what Paul is saying is, God is right to, 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 to issue judgment against all people, whether they're religious or non-religious. Because in nature, everyone knows that he is there and he is powerful, that we are dependent and accountable, and yet every person has rejected him. And I'm gonna to get to that in the next point as Paul explains it. But there is no excuse for any of us because there's enough known about God to all of us that we should have given our hearts and lives in trust to him. Everybody with me? So we move on then. We've heard God, how God's glory is revealed. We move on then to secondly, how God's glory has been rejected. How God's glory has been rejected. And we see this in verse 21. And it's a simple verse. We won't spend a lot of time on it. But it's important for you to recognize what happened after revelation came to all of us, what has happened. Verse 21, four. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So even though all of us, and I'm talking about you, as well as any other person that's ever been made, and I'm talking about me, 
Even though there's a made by God's stamp on everything, even though I know he exists, I know I'm dependent on him, even though I know that he's powerful, I stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and I go, gosh, it's not all about me. My life is owed to him and I'm accountable. Even though I have that knowledge of God, you and I have not honored him. You and I, in little ways and in big ways, have said to him, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. Even though I know what's due to you, I'm not going to give it to you. Even though I know I'm dependent on you, I'm not going to depend on you. Even though I know that you're powerful and I'm accountable to you, like I'm going to write my own rules. We have not honored him as God. And we have not given thanks to him. In other words, we forgot sitting by the river. We forgot looking at the moon. We forgot even just examining our own bodies and the ways everything has been designed. We have forgotten to write love letters and thank you notes to God. Our affection has ended on creation and not gone through to the creator. And our thoughts have become futile. So in other words, we can't even think straight anymore. And our hearts have been darkened. We have claimed to be independent, even though we know we're dependent. And we have preferred to think that we can call the shots and decide what is right and wrong rather than acknowledge that he gets to determine that. And we have patted ourselves on the back again and again and again rather than gone to him and be grateful because everything is actually from him. And even in doing so, and you can see marks of this all over our culture today, and I can see marks of it in my own life, even in doing so, even in rejecting God and establishing our own way and our own thinking and our own direction, we have said, look how wise we have become. We are the most enlightened generation ever. We have understood things. We are acting in ways that are better than ever before. And yet... (laughs) As God sees us, when we are walking outside of his word, his way, he looks at us and goes, they think they are wise, but oh, they are fools. Be careful not to make God out into your own image. Be careful when you have a God that never disagrees with you. We are not God, and he is not made In our image, we are made in his. And we need to get back to the business of honoring him. But the way that it's all gone wrong is this. His glory was revealed, but for every one of us, his glory has been rejected. Our hearts have turned against him. Now we close by looking at what happened once minds got made foolish, hearts got darkened. What happened? Well, third and finally, Paul helps us to see why the gospel is needed. 
and why God's wrath is deserved by helping us to see that not only has there been this rejection, but then at the same time there's been this rejection of God, what's happened is this. In every one of our lives, there's been this creation of something other than God, and we've given ourselves to worship it. In other words, we've produced a counterfeit religion. Now, I want to say even before I get to these scriptures and we wind up, uh, close out the message, that, that this begins a repetition. Okay, and, and what follows, I'm only, only going to be able to cover the first of the three uh, things that are repeated today. We'll cover the other two next Sunday. But there's a pattern that happens in these verses. And if you've never noticed it, please now notice it. There's a pattern. And the pattern is this. Three different times, Paul uses the phrase, they exchanged, they exchanged, they exchanged. In verse 22, 23, verse 25, and in verse 27. And then in three different times, Paul says, and God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. So in other words, He's saying, out of the rejection of God, there's three ways this has been manifested. First, they exchanged. Second, they exchanged this. Third, they exchanged this. And then first, God gave them up to this. And second, God gave them up to that. And third, God gave them up to this. Three different times that happens. Three different times Paul's saying to us that all of us, humanity at large, has put our own God in the place of the truth that God had revealed. And three different times, God, Paul says to us, God has reacted to our behavior, our rebellion, our rejection, by handing us over, by giving us up. It's almost like um, a boat moving downstream and like God's stopping it and he releases and he just allows it to move downstream. Like God gives us up to what is due to us. Three different times he says this. So, the first exchange we'll look at today, we'll close out, and we'll come back next week. He says in verse 22, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the first exchange, and the first exchange is about idolatry. And I want to just as we close this morning, walk through the list that Paul makes for us of the marks of counterfeit religion. How do you know when you've made this exchange? He's trying to say every one of us has fallen into idolatry. We have exchanged what we should have given to God and we've given it to somewhere else. And that is idolatry. And Paul helps us to know what this looks like. First, it looks like the worship of something created. The worship of something created. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged, it says here, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, and then here it is, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
So what he's saying here is they have, all of us have exchanged. It's, it's not that we've stopped worshiping. We did not stop worshiping. So when we rejected God, we did not stop worshiping. We are worshipers, all of us. The only question is, who or what do you worship? And what he's saying here is, in your hearts, when you rejected God, your affection, your allegiance shifted to somewhere else. You became a worshiper of something else. And what he's saying here is, you became a worshiper of created things. Now, this is the height of the display of foolishness. Does this remind you of some Old Testament story? Why, yes, it does, Pastor Barrett. Exodus chapter 32, you got it right. (laughs) That's called a little help to my friends, okay? The story of Moses coming off the mountain and what had they done? Exchanged worship of God for worship of a calf, a golden calf. Psalm 106 verse 20 refers to this scene. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Well, Not many of us have exchanged the glory of God for the image of a cow, but a lot of us have exchanged the glory of God for a relationship. A lot of us have exchanged the glory of God for money, or the glory of God for sex, or the glory of God for approval, or the glory of God for achievement, or the glory of God for power, or the glory of God for family, or the glory of God for work. In other words, what happens when your heart starts looking for security and joy and provision and fulfillment and love and beauty and satisfaction and freedom and peace and hope and on and on I can go. When your heart starts looking to a created thing to give you what only God can give you, you are committing idolatry. You are exchanging the glory of God that your heart is made for, you're meant to draw from, you are turning to something else other than God, and that is sin. And the Bible says that all of us have ended up in a place where we have made this exchange. We shifted worship to something created. Secondly, all of us have ended up in a place after making this exchange in bondage and addiction. Therefore, the scripture says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of bodies among themselves. God, part of his condemnation is his release of us into the sin that we have chosen and allowing us to experience the futility and the frustration and the addiction and the bondage of that sin. Because nothing that you ever turn to apart from God can give you what only God can give you. And it will leave you empty and dry and frustrated and disappointed and hopeless and in despair every time and addicted. Jeremiah chapter two, verses 11, the prophet says to the nation, has a nation changed its gods? even though there are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. 
In other words, what God is saying is, oh my goodness, don't you see the disastrous course that's downstream? Don't you see the bondage? You're not really free because you end up having to serve whatever it is you decided to live for. Every one of you becomes a servant of a master and only when your master is God and God alone can you truly be fulfilled and free. Every other master does you harm. Don't you see that it doesn't profit? It leaves you in bondage and addiction. Third, sorry you guys, I've got to go back to my slide here. Third, the third characteristic here of counterfeit religion is that it causes us to believe a set of lies. To believe a set of lies. It says because they exchanged, here it is, the truth about God for what? A lie. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. This is, every time, a hallmark of idolatry. It's reminiscent of exactly what we saw in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of this tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows what will happen when you eat of it. Your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How many of us in our lives today, as we've entertained or even given into sin, have done so hearing a lie? Well, maybe God doesn't really say that. Maybe God doesn't really care about this. Surely God understands Rather than holding to the truth of God and the truth of who he's revealed himself to be and the truth of what his word says, all of us, as we enter into idolatry, end up exchanging what we know to be true about God for something that, just like the voice of the serpent, is a little whisper going, I'm not so sure. And that is an exchange where we believe a set of lies. Fourth and finally, the fourth and final mark of a counterfeit religion is the outright rejection of the creator. Some of us like to say, well, you know, it's not that bad. It's not like, you know, this sounds really bad that you're calling me idolatrous, but I still love the Lord. I just happen to like X, Y, and Z too. You know, I, 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 I'm in this bondage and addiction, but, you know, I'm, I, I, you know I, I, I'm, I occasionally might believe X, Y, or Z a little different than what the Bible says, but... Uh, and what Paul says is there's, there's really none of that here. He's not going to have any of that here. Because what he says is at the end of the day, what's happening is in your heart, truly, you've exchanged worship. You are worshiping a created thing. And it says here that you can't have both at the same time rather than the creator. In other words, in every sin, 
It's not just a choice to engage in that sin. It is a choice to reject God. And you have to see the severity, the seriousness of the choices that are being made. There is a rejection of God. And this is the God who is blessed forever. Amen. This is when, this is why Jeremiah says in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Be appalled, O heavens, be shocked. At this, be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. First, they've rejected, forsaken me. Do you see? The fountain of living waters. And second, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, he's going, can you believe it? That, that, that anyone would be given the Niagara Falls of love and joy and goodness and grace, everything needed. It's clearly revealed. He's everything you need. He's available. You're meant to depend on him, to be accountable to him. He's available. That he would be ever-present, living water, and yet every person, knowing him in these ways, would still turn aside, reject him, and turn to a broken pot and try to fill it up over in the mud. Be appalled that there would be such rejection of the Creator. Well, this is God's Word today. The gospel is needed because God's wrath is deserved. And I'm talking right now about you. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ because by your own life, your own actions, God has revealed himself to you plainly, the things that have been made, and yet you have rejected him. Your thoughts have become futile and your heart has become darkened and you have said no to the fountain of living water to the creator and you have turned to created things and your heart and life evidence that you have been looking to make something else your everything rather than God. And because of this, God is right to say to you that behavior, that choice is deserving of condemnation. The gospel is needed because God's wrath is deserved for we've all seen God's glory in nature and yet rejected true worship of him. Now, I close this sermon by reminding you of the gospel itself because I pray today that the God's word proclaimed in this bad news will make the good news even more beautiful and precious, treasured and clear. For Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live 
by faith. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. You need Jesus. You deserve the wrath of God. And that is why this morning it is such great news that I can proclaim to you, but God in his grace, with the great love in which he has loved you, even though you deserved his wrath, he came to rescue you from your sin. He came to live for your righteousness and he came to die. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came to die in your place such that the condemnation and the wrath that you deserve would be placed entirely on him and he paid it in full for all who believe. Tetelestai, he cried, it is finished. The fullness of the wrath of God we deserve was poured out in Jesus Christ. And he put it all away and he was buried in a grave and after three days he rose to new life and he lives today. And anyone, yes, anyone, including you, who hears the truth that you are under the wrath of God apart from Christ, anyone who calls upon Jesus can and will be saved. God gives a righteousness apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And even now, and I pray that there are many who even today will hear my voice and respond for the first time ever, even now, you can say, oh God, I'm sorry, but I need you. I ask for your mercy and your grace, your salvation. I repent of my sin. I turn from my created things and I turn back to you, the fountain of living water. God, would you make me new? Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you give me life now and forevermore? I want to come back to worship you. Oh, Father, we pray today that you would help us to treasure the gospel of your son, Jesus, in a way, God, that would lead us to true worship. Oh, Father, I pray Lord, knowing that there are many here, God, that do not know you yet. They have not yet repented and believed. I pray that even now your spirit would make us alive. Oh God, and I pray that for the rest of us that we would grow more and more and more amazed and in love with you, Jesus, because we know how much we need you. And we know the price that you paid, the provision that you bought with your own body and blood, God, that we would just cry out in thanks for your salvation. Because truly, all that we have is what you have given, what we receive by faith. So right now, we come back to you. We put our hearts in your hands. And we ask for your mercy. We are needy, but you are gracious. Oh, Father, would you save, would you forgive, would you restore, would you renew? We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.